Psalm 88, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I'm counting among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead. I like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are you wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Darren. It's a privilege to get to talk to you today. Do keep that passage open in front of you. I do feel at the outset of this sermon I should make an apology. Um, our musical worship has lifted us very high. Uh, our prayers and our liturgy and our service, they've brought us to a spiritual mountaintop. But now Psalm 88, it takes us into the valley. Uh, it takes us down, down uh, into the valley. And uh, if we can make it through, I promise you there is a mountain on the other side. Um, but right now we are dealing with heavy and depressing subject matter. Uh, for Psalm 88, it's known as a genre in the Psalms, known as lament. Uh, lament, uh, quite simply, is um, a spiritual cry of deep and, and dark despair. Um, and it was either done in uh, community or in from the perspective of an individual, as it is here. Um, it's actually the largest genre in the whole uh, Psalter. And if you were struggling to know what lament looked like, you would look, need to look no further than Psalm 88, written by a man called Heman, who wasn't Esther's uh, uncle, and he was a worship leader in the temple for King David. Um, and uh, the psalm, although it is so depressing and tragic, it has an incredible truth to, to teach us. As Christopher Ashe says, um, it, is a true, it teaches us that a true believer may be taken through times of deep and dark despair. What Psalm 88 teaches us, what Christopher Ash comments on on this psalm, is that it's saying that there, there can be a Christian who is genuine, who is sincere, who is passionate in their love and pursuit of God and pursuing godliness. There can be a person with no secret sin in their life. They haven't fallen away from church or anything like that. But that person... God might take them through a time of deep and long and dark despair. Psalm 88 shows us this. Psalm 88 prepares us to get through it. 
And for those of us who've had relatively good lives, Psalm 88 helps us prepare for when challenges and discouragements and disappointments come. It might just be the most important thing we can learn today. And in a world that spends so much time avoiding suffering and effort to, to not suffer, uh, we can often find these passages quite unsettling. But I think, you know, as hard as it's been to get this into a sermon, I think it's the hard passages that speak to us uh, the loudest. Now, we're going to look at it in three brief comments. We're going to look at verses 1 to 9, praying or darkness, then death's alien land, and then an unanswered cry. My favorite uh, commentator on the Psalms is a guy called Derek Kidner, and he writes of this psalm, there is no sadder prayer in the Bible. And I have to agree with him, because it begins in despair, and it ends in darkness. Look at how he ends uh, the psalm in verse 18. Darkness is my closest friend. And he's not quoting Simon and Garfunkel. Um, they were quoting him. Um, he, he, it, it's misery from start to, to finish. This line sums it up. Um, you know, can you imagine coming to church at 11.30 on Sunday and we're going to stand up and sing this a cappella, you know, really get the people going? Um, now this, this brings us into the heart of human emotion and human tragedy. And it's, it's unique in its darkness because it is completely without hope. Um, all of the other laments, as I said, the largest genre, as, as dark and honest as they can be, they, all the other ones, they finish on a positive. They finish with a whiff or a flourish or the psalmist remembers God's face or his promise or he looks and, and, and he remembers God's sovereignty. The only positive mention in this whole song and prayer is the name of God in the, in the opening verse. Um, and, and that's really what we're dealing with today as he prays and cries out to God three times. Look at, look at what he says. Look at what he's going through. He says, day and night I cry out to you in verse 2. I'm overwhelmed with trouble. My life is ending in verse 3. I feel like I'm in the pit. Verse 4, I've been set apart and cut off. I've been made a reproach. Verse 5, I did warn you at the risk of depressing you. So he's in tremendous emotional and physical despair. And not just that, it gets very personal as he acknowledges who has brought this upon him. Verses 6 to 9, he says that it's you, God. You've put me in the pit. Your wrath lies upon me. You have taken my closest friends. You have made me a reproach to them. He's scorned. He's lost his friends. He's facing emotional and physical distress. He feels abandoned by God. And he says, not only that, God, you have done it. Darkness is my closest friend. Can you imagine singing that? Where things have got so bad, you have lost all sense of yourself. You've lost all perspective. Your life is now just defined by your pain and by your disappointment. This is someone who things have become so bad, they are completely disorientated and dislocated. And I think if you feel this way, the first encouragement is that you know you're not alone. And the psalm and the Bibles are very real in showing us the full range of human uh, emotion and feelings and, and pain. The other thing we can't do when we come to this is relativize it because everyone's valley is their valley. Uh, everyone's pain, it, it's tremendously personal. Um, and so perhaps helpfully, we're not told exactly 
what this guy is, is going through. But he can't understand it, and he comes to my second point, what I call death's alien land. He, he doesn't understand how this can be. He's saying, I'm going down to the pit, and it's just not fair. Why on earth, God, would you let this happen? Because you see, from his perspective, everything that he said and feels is true. He's saying, you know, do you show your wonders to the dead? We know that's not true. Do, do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? He says, are your wonders known to the deceased? No, of course not. Your wonders are known only amongst the, the living. It's like he's saying, Lord, life is really hard, and I'm right, aren't I? So what are you going to do about it? And, and it's almost as if, just like Job, he's just getting just a little bit too close uh, to blasphemy for comfort, as if he's saying, well, this belief that I have when I die, that I will go to some better place, that's just wishful thinking, isn't it? That's just foolish fancy. So what does he do? Well, to quote the greatest love story and piece of high adventure of our time, the Princess Bride, who said, life is suffering, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. Life is suffering, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. Is that, is that what is going on here in, in this church? Is that what we believe? Is the Bible trying to sell us something, and we just have to conform? You see, I think it's good that we have, a, we have some passages like this because it reminds us that life is full of trouble and it teaches us the realism of the Bible. The Bible doesn't whitewash life. It is brutally honest. And here it is showing you the depths that humanity can go to. We have to remember that Jesus told his disciples that none of them would be above their master. But the second thing it challenges us on is it asks the question, who are we serving and why are we serving them? Do you remember that question in the book of Job when Satan turned up to God and he said to God, does Job serve God for naught? Uh, does, does God, does Job, does, is Job using you, God? That, that's really what Job's doing. I don't know if you've ever been used. It doesn't feel very nice, does it? If you've been used to get access to someone or to get a promotion or to get into a room or whatever it was. It doesn't feel nice. You imagine how God feels. And one of the things that suffering evokes and this deep pain evokes is that it asks the question, are we serving God for who he is and what he says he is and what he does or are we serving God for what we think he might give us? Because if it's the latter, it'll give us a faith that is transactional. Uh, it'll give us a faith that is up and down. And when suffering does come along, um, we'll be knocked out, or worse, we'll, we'll walk away. Now, the Bible gives us a perspective that when you become a Christian, that not everything in life is going to go well. I was saying, chatting to a member this week who's going through some particular problems, and we were, we were reflecting on how it really is in the case of faith, sorry, in the case of suffering, that the rubber hits the road. We find out what our faith is made of. It'll either make us great or it'll make us very, very bitter. And, and I wish there was another way, but it seems to be from the scriptures and my own experience, there's no better place to learn about God's grace 
than in the valley. I wish it was another way. One of the, the, the best book I've ever read on suffering is 20 pages long. It's by an Old Testament scholar called Jonathan Gibson. He works in the States. He's from Northern Ireland. He's friends with Alex McCoy. And he wrote this book. You all have to buy it to save you reading much longer and complicated books about suffering. It's called The Moon is Always Round. And it's as equally beautiful as it is sad. For he describes in 20 pages a conversation he had with his son about the tragic event of the, the loss of their, his sister. A late-term miscarriage one week before the baby was due. Absolutely a horrific set of circumstances. And it's such a beautiful book and such a profound um, metaphor as the readers are allowed to enter into this conversation that he has with his six-year-old son who in the, when they lived in the United Kingdom <clears throat> excuse me, enjoyed looking up at the moon. And it goes through a story where he would ask his son what shape is the moon? And his son would say it's a quarter moon. It's a half moon, it's three quarters, it's a, it's a full moon. Until the end where we're told that the sun says that the moon is always round, even when you cannot see it. And it's a wonderful image. It's a wonderful reminder that despite the moon's different phases and the different phases and seasons we go through of life, so also is the goodness of God always present <clears throat> with his people in the different phases of their life. Even when you can't see it, the moon is always round and God is always the good covenant sovereign God. Except our author, Heman, he's, he's working towards that. He's not there yet as he's praying his pain. And he, he finishes with, he can't cope with this unanswered cry. He ends this psalm with a barrage he, he, he's, he's terrified, he's fearful of the future. He says, I've suffered since I was a youth. Um, your waves of terror are sweeping over me. And you read this, you read this finish. And I mean, I, I thought, how on earth am I going to preach this this week? You read this and you think, where's the rousing conclusion? Where is the encouraging testimony? Well, the answer and the truth is that there isn't always one. And then you think, well, hang on, why is this here in the Bible? Why does God give us this? What is it doing? All he can remember is terror. All he can look forward to is pain. And yet, this is what we have. And I think it's helpful because we can all feel like this at times. Maybe not to this extent. I certainly hope not. Well, the encouragement, I think, from this, this sad song not just that it gives us perspective, not just that it shows us who we're serving. It's not so much in the text, but the fact that we have the text, because we have this text. And this was wrote, written by the lead worship pastor at the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and if you had told him a few thousand years ago that a couple of hundred people at St. Andrew's Kowloon were going to be looking at his cry of pain, I wonder what he would have said. But the encouragement is that he is able to pray this to his God. And he is saying in this prayer, as he cries out, you are God and I am not. And even though I don't feel like I'm going to get out of this, I'm still going to turn to you. I think the encouragement for us is that he finishes his prayer. He keeps turning back to God in the darkness. He says in verse 13, I cry to you for help, Lord. He is still praying. You see, if you're here today, if you're 
a Christian because of what you think God will give you, be it in love or career or school or whatever. When suffering comes along, it'll, it'll knock you for six. But if you can get the perspective that Psalm 88 shows us, it will make us a, a believer of such maturity and conviction. We won't be knocked around. We'll have a realistic worldview that, that trouble does exist. And the great encouragement that we can turn to God when it does happen, even if you can't see it, you can see that the moon is always round. As Spurgeon said famously of this psalm, we, even when we cannot trace his hand, we must learn to trust his heart. That's what Psalm 88 is trying to teach us, to trust God's heart. Secondly, the other encouragement, I think, for us today from this difficult passage is that it does not permit us or allow us to accept the present order as final. If you're a Christian and you are satisfied with this life and this world, I'm afraid we're probably going in the wrong direction. Now, Paul, remember what he says in Romans, we, we wait eagerly as sons and daughters, waiting and groaning for adoption. I've been thinking an awful lot about this. I've said it before. Um, None of us probably struggle with the idea of wanting to go to heaven over hell. That, that's a no-brainer. I mean, who would want to go to hell? No one in their right mind. Um, the problem I think we more have as modern Christians is that we're so busy trying to make heaven on earth. And we're disappointed when we don't have God's kingdom on earth. And yet Jesus promises us that his kingdom is not of this world. So we should accept trouble. We should not be satisfied. Uh, for, for people who are living through war or famine or destruction or disappointment, they understand exactly what he's talking about. And yet for so many of us, we spend so much time and money trying to avoid suffering that when it does come along, we're, we're really knocked out. But thirdly, and, and, and most significantly, this passage is encouraging because it tells us about God Derek Kidner says, the very presence of these prayers is a witness to God's understanding. Why is this encouraging? Because it tells us that the Christian God knows how people speak when they are desperate. And it tells us that he is close to the broken hearted. The very fact these are in the Bible tells us an awful lot about God. He's not the God who says, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want those difficult feelings. I don't want those inconvenient truths in the Bible. No, it's saying that he's saying, I have understanding to the desperate, to the heartbroken, to the lost, to the widow, to the, the refugee, to those who have lost children. I am beside them. I am the God of these people. And I am still and always the God of grace. Not because you have a happy face, not because you pray nice prayers, not because you come along and give your time and money, but because I am always the covenant sovereign God of grace. And I wish there was another way, but it seems to me from my experience and being a young pastor that grace comes 10 times more in the dark times in the valley than in the good. You know, I, I, can, I experienced this myself last year. I went through a disappointment and I was really struggling to process it and, and understand how God could let this happen. And I was preaching on Ruth and it was at the 9.30 service. And, and it was just as if that kind man in that book of Ruth, Boaz, it was as if he came walking off the page and I realized I wasn't looking at Boaz. I was standing in front of the one true kind man, Jesus Christ. 
And I realized, I thought, reflecting on it, I, I probably wouldn't have learned that message of God's goodness and kindness and grace if I hadn't had that disappointment. And well, I think we get a hint that all is not lost for this guy, Heman. He says in verse 15, from my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. We know he was the worship leader in the temple, so that probably wasn't true. He also wrote most of the Psalms through the 40s and the 80s in the Psalter, and some of those are actually pretty good and quite encouraging. So um, he's let himself define himself by his pain, but I think his words point forward to another one. As he concludes this Psalm as we started with, darkness is my closest friend, there was another man who experienced that. And he wasn't just the worship leader. He, he was the person who lived the best life ever. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he was tortured. And he was killed. And they hung him on a cross. And he was scorned by his friends. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was mocked by his enemies. Darkness just wasn't his friend. When he died, he literally entered into it. And because Jesus did that, it means that darkness does not have to be the last word in your life. This is what Christianity promises us. Because Jesus Christ endured the ultimate true darkness. He was cut off from the Father. Why? Because Satan is right. What Satan said to Job is true. We use people. We're in life for ourselves. We're, we're greedy. We're self-centered. Jesus did that so that we could be forgiven. And so in your darkness, in, when it comes, you can know that you are truly not abandoned and you have a God who can meet you there. Jesus came to face this darkness on your behalf. Why on earth do you think he would abandon you when you're going through your season? And so that question that I think is the real question in Psalm 88, there's some disagreement, but that question from earlier on, do the dead rise? If you trust in Jesus Christ, the answer is a definitive yes. So you can face down anything. Um, you see, what it means is when you have a God who is there, a God who has suffered, a God who has bled and died, he understands what you're going through. And that is unique to Christianity. No other philosophy or religion says anything like this. And that love and that assurance that you know that God is for you and what he has done for you, it makes all the difference when a genuine believer is going through, going through the valley. Um, you know, I, I wish there was another way, but I was reflecting the old alternate. If there is no God, it's very, very dark indeed. And yet we have a promise of a God who says, I will meet you right where you are in your suffering. And he will listen to you as you cry your, pray, your pain just like Heman did. I'm going to finish uh, with a quote by Michael Wilcock that I found quite encouraging on this. He said, Suffering, this can and will happen, but it doesn't mean you are lost. It can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. It doesn't mean you have strayed. It can happen at any time, and it can happen without your knowing. But it does have a purpose, and God will use it, and one day you will know. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we, we struggle with these difficult passages, but we, we thank you, Father, that you are honest with us. Father, we know that life is not always pleasant, and I pray for those of us in our community who are going through discouragements and challenges. I pray that you could be very gentle with them, Father. Encourage them and know that you are always there. 
Remind us of the gospel, Father, to bring us through to the other side. Help us, Father, and help us to be Christians who are mature and thoughtful. Help us to bring the truths of the gospel deep into our heart so that we would be sure and steadfast, Father, able to face anything. And as we long for your kingdom, Father, as we long for it to come, we pray that one day we would praise you as you bind up all the tears in our world. Thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.